0: Some Pharisees came, and to test him they asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He answered them, What did Moses command you? They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of dismissal and to divorce her. But Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, he wrote this commandment for you. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined with his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. Then in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter. He said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. People were bringing little children to him in order that he might touch them. And the disciples spoke sternly to them. But when Jesus saw this, he was indignant and said to them, "Let the little children come to me; do not stop them, for it is to such that, as these, that the kingdom of God belongs. Truly, I tell you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as little as little chi- as a little child will never enter it." And he took them up in his arms, laid his hands on them, and blessed them. The word of the, the word of the, oh Lord, <laughs> the word of God for the Lord, word. Nailed it.
1: (laughs) Oh, well, it's appropriate given this text, which keeps us all um, alert. And I know most of you, I'm sure, wanted to come out on a Sunday rainy morning to talk about divorce. So, hey, let's just get into it. Well, to be truthful, I think most of us preacher types who come to this text in the lectionary either skip it or talk about the children. (laughs) Because it's so much more pleasant to talk about little children. But, you know, I'm in my sixth year here. I thought, it's time. Let's, Let's approach this text. We can do this. But I want to start by saying any sermon ostensibly about divorce, which in part, yes it is, and it's much more than that as well, but let's just name what's in the room, recognize that a topic like this is going to put most of us on edge. Many of us are touched by divorce on some level. Of course, we have family members, parents, ourselves have been divorced. We come in and we recognize that in this room, maybe the moment you saw the text or the scripture or the title, like Glenda said at Free For All, you're like a cat with your hair on the back standing up. Well, I want to say an opening word to that. (laughs) We all have a scarlet letter on our chest. Each one is just a different letter. It may be A, it may be the big D, it may be a whole number of letters strung together. But we come into this text knowing that we are all sinners in need of grace. So let's just start there. And we'll end there too, by the way. Now when dealing with a text like this, it's important, and by the way, this is going to be a little bit more teaching than preaching on some level, so stay with me. But it's important that when we do biblical interpretation, we remember that ways in which we interpret the Bible, okay, so a little lesson here on biblical interpretation. We usually, and maybe you have some creative other way you interpret the Bible, usually there's five ways, either through scripture itself and sort of putting some scriptures next to others to interpret each other, our tradition, meaning the big church tradition over the years and how they've interpreted scripture, using our reason faculty, our experience being number four, which is a big one, and we all come into the text, as I said, with some experience in this topic. And five, our conscience. So let's just be honest about where we come into this text and what we bring into it and noticing the lens in which we look at it. And here we begin. The Pharisees are trying to test Jesus. And what's interesting is the Pharisees come to test him with this question, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? they already know the scriptural interpretation. So those five things, they already know, number one. They know what the scripture says about divorce. They knew that within Jewish law, divorce was permissible. But what they really want to know, and Matthew's gospel of this parallel text actually names it, is they want to know what are the grounds for divorce. Okay, what can we get away with? <laughs> and it's interesting if as you kind of poke through this a little bit there were two schools of thought in Jewish interpretation of Deuteronomy 24, which is where this comes from. And by the way, this is all the fun in seminary. And I went back and I found a paper I'd written all about this. That took me three months to write. So somehow we enter it together and we compare these two schools of thought. There was a group that interpreted this scripture that says divorce is permissible, this is Deuteronomy 24, for some indecency, okay, which literally translates the nakedness of a thing. Okay, let me say that again. So divorce is permissible for the nakedness of a thing. Now, one school of thought emphasized the thing, and the other one, the nakedness. I mean, this is, we should laugh. We do this, okay? So the halal school of thought emphasized the word for the thing, the nakedness of the thing, or the matter. And so they concluded that a wife could be divorced for any matter that the husband deemed as problematic, such as finding a prettier woman, (laughs) if she was infertile, or if she burnt the food. And that is no lie. And boy, would many of us be in trouble. (laughs) So this is the Hillel school of thought. Now, the Shammai school of thought was more conservative. And they stressed the nakedness part of this line instead of the thing. And so for them, divorce was only permissible for, as they interpret indecency, to mean adultery. What I love about this text is Jesus responds to their question when they ask, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He asks them another question. In typical Jesus style, well, what does Moses say? And as you know, They respond and say, well, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of dismissal and to divorce her. And Jesus is quick to come back and say, Moses permitted it because they, being the Israelites, were literally translates cardio sclerosis. That's how it translates transliterates, cardiosclerosis. Because of their hardness of heart, Moses made concession. But more importantly, which I find even more impressive of Jesus, was before he wants to talk about the grounds for divorce, he says, we need to talk about the grounds for marriage. Jesus goes back to Genesis 1, before Moses, before Abraham, before Noah, before the fall. And the design, he says, was that two-ness would become oneness. That's the ultimate design, even as if we've lifted up around the table, that we would all be one. And ultimately, where he lands... In Genesis, is that what God has joined together, let no one separate. And that seems to be Jesus' final word here. That in actuality, this covenant is actually something that God does, sealing the two, making oneness, and that God's work, of course, as all God's work, is permanent. Now, here's where it gets tricky, right? Right? The disciples are like, we don't understand. We want more. So later in the house, Jesus, again in, in his way, ups the ante, and it says, well, and if you divorce your spouse and marry again, you commit adultery. At this point, I, w- I just want to say, Michelle, why didn't you take this sermon? Laughter <laughs> Eh. Well, Jesus' words do sound quite strict to our ears. But you know what? He's been saying these radical things all through the Gospels, including most recognizable in Matthew's Gospel from chapter 5. These will be very familiar to you where Jesus is always upping the ante. You have heard it said, you shall not murder, and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you that if you are angry with a brother or sister, you will be liable to judgment. You have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that anyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. You have heard it said that an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evildoer. But if anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other also. You have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. It seems evident From Jesus' words, that he has upped the ante from what the the Pharisees have come. Here, trying to see what are the grounds for divorce. And Jesus says, the ideal is that oneness is never broken. That's sort of a no-brainer, right? This is sort of the ideal we would all hope to live into. That what God put together, no one should separate. But there's something going on here. First, I think it's instructive about this text that the Pharisees are really just caught up in what is legally permissible. They don't actually question Jesus because they want an answer about something that puzzles them, as we've said. They want Jesus to take a stand and offend either the Hillel or Shammai school of thought. And what I love (laughs) is Jesus is so much more conservative than the Shammai school of thought. He says, and more offensive than they probably ever imagined. He says, you were hoping I would side with the Shammai or the Hillel? Here Jesus claims authority over the law of Moses. Nailed it. (laughs) Legally permissible? That's not what's in question here, Jesus is saying. But don't we do that? It's what we do. I mean, we can so put ourselves in this story on all kinds of levels. I mean, don't we say, what exactly can I do? How close to the line can I get before something is wrong, sinful, unlawful? But, of course, Jesus sees straight to their heart He sees that they're looking for what can I get away with and still be deemed okay, acceptable. He sees, one, what their true motives are, that their starting point is flawed altogether. And three, just like us, we typically focus on the letter of the law and not what? The spirit of the law. What we're ultimately not concerned with, which is the irony, is the very fabric of relationship. And this is Jesus' big point. There is something we are held by that is deeper than the law. It is relationship, covenant. Second, we must look at the immediate context that this is written in. Michelle did a fabulous job last week putting us in chapter 9. Talking about towards the end, these vulnerable ones, protecting them, which is Jesus' ultimate goal. Who says, If any of you put a stumbling block before one of these little ones who believe in me, it'd be better for you if a great millstone were hung around your neck and you were thrown into the sea. All right, so you had your <laughs> share last week. Jesus is concerned about protecting the little one. Jesus takes this very seriously, the vulnerable. So when Jesus says this word on divorce, in part, it is a protection of women as well, saying, men, you can't just divorce a woman for anything. And within Judaism and Roman law as well, men were allowed to divorce their wives, but not the reverse. Jesus was saying there is no double standard for men and women. Jesus is protecting marriage without subordinating women for an inferior role. That's a huge distinction. Protecting marriage without subordinating women to an inferior role. Jesus is radical here. For women, we're seen as property. And if a man divorced a woman, she essentially had no social recourse. She was the one left as the extremely vulnerable, the little one. And Jesus is saying no more easy certificates for divorce, men. Your spouse is a child of God and should be seen this way, not as property to be thrown out for the trash pickup the next day. But here's the deal. As if that wasn't enough, a greater point than even the Pharisees getting caught up in legality debates or that this statement on divorce is the protection of women is Mark's greater and ultimate concern in the reason he wrote this gospel. What do you think is ultimately at stake? It's a little quiz about the purpose of the gospel of Mark. It is the kingdom of God. Notice in chapter 1 of Mark's gospel, verse 15, here's the greater arc of it. He skips over the whole birth narrative. Mark doesn't care about the cattle that are lowing. He doesn't care about the angels singing or that Jesus had a scratchy birth. Mark gets to the point, and in verse chapter 1, verse 15, says, Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe in the good news. So this is what holds the gospel of Mark together. And what Jesus is saying all throughout this, and even contextually here, is that everything has changed. The time has finally come. I have inaugurated this new kingdom, ushering in what it's like where the last shall be first and the vulnerable protected and where redemption, relationship, can be made whole through me. So how is that relevant to this text? Jesus is saying in this new era, the new kingdom that has now come, the standard is not what was permissible by law, but a new relationship ethic that is grounded in love, peace, and justice. As I said, Jesus was concerned for divorced women who would lose all rights, And in the kingdom that was breaking in, all people were to be protected with mutual respect given to both men and women. And now what Mark is saying is in the reigning in of this kingdom, there is a call to the perfect ethics of the will of God. As one commentator said, divorce for Jesus is no longer allowed Because he himself fulfills the Torah and is the redemption for the people's hardness of hearts. So they are without excuse. Don't worry, we're going to go further with that. But again, Jesus is less concerned with what is allowed and more about what is intended in the kingdom of God. So the way I sort of visualize this is the Pharisees are sort of here. And Jesus is trying to bring him up here. There's a bigger picture. Just the time when we feel overwhelmed by Jesus raising the bar, and if you're like me, it makes my blood pressure go up to hear those, it was said this, but I tell you. Remember, the disciples had the same reaction, because right after this text is the story of the rich young ruler. And basically, Jesus tells them how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God for those who have wealth. And says he says, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. At which point they say, whoa, who can be saved? I mean, really? And Jesus says to them this beautiful statement. For mortals, it is impossible. But not for God. For God, all things are possible. And let's not forget this passage that immediately follows our text. Yes, the little children part. Jesus is holding up one of these children and tells us that to enter the kingdom of God, we have to become like one of these. Notice... One enters the kingdom of God not by fulfilling the law. That's huge. But by receiving the gift of relationship and complete dependence on God. Let me say that again. The kingdom of God, He ushers us in, happens. Because we receive the gift of relationship, not fulfilling the law. It's a gift. It's grace. And complete dependence on God. So what does this have to do with marriage or divorce or relationship, etc.? Well, Jesus is saying, you can't justify yourself. You have to come as a child who receives grace only. And I love what one commentator, James Thompson, says here. He says, Might Jesus ask whether the human was created for marriage or marriage for the human? It's about grace. So what can we glean? There's a lot of teaching in there. What can we glean from this? I think first, this passage, no matter what our status is, single Married, divorced, remarried. It reveals something about all of our scarlet letters, about all of our hardness of heart, our cardiosclerosis that can and should be exposed. If we're coming to the scripture just to make it work for us, or as the Pharisees did, just to find the loophole, We've missed the boat entirely. But don't we go to scripture like that all the time? All right, let me see. What does this really say? But this text has something to teach us so much greater beyond the category of marriage. To the category of oneness and relationship in general. I want to read to you. What Kayla McClurg said in her Inward Outward post, which is a site many of you see that comes from the Church of Our Savior, says, one of Jesus' central goals is to wake us up, to heal our blindness, to move us from the land of denial into truth. Now, to wake us up to our collusion with sin without being sent into spirals of condemnation and despair Now, that is a path to freedom. The law can only go so far in bringing us this kind of freedom. Relationships of unconditional love, the kind of love that will not let us stay in denial about our condition, complete the work that the law alone cannot do. That's huge. And so what I really think this is about, as I said, is a relationship that seeks oneness. That the ultimate kingdom goal, when all is said and done, in the sweet by and by, however you want to phrase it, is that we're all one. Divisions, they don't matter. Labels don't matter. We don't have to circle single, married, divorced, remarried, whatever for our insurance policies. Labels don't matter in the kingdom of God. In our covenantal relationship with God, we learn what our purpose is. That it's about unity and union. That's why I believe God, through Jesus, goes back to Genesis 1 when no one else ever did that. We are created for loving union not as individuals who seek with ego and self-satisfaction, but as interdependent beings, who, as Kathleen reminded us at Free For All, the question I asked some time ago, what if none of us are healed until we are all healed? You know what? Our wounds are all very interconnected in relationship. In fact, Michael and I have a marriage counselor who said to us, when it's so easy to be like, well, I'm so informed about this, or, you know, I'm very mature in this way, and why can't he see this? (laughs) At which point, she said... Michael and Julie, most people choose partners that are just as differentiated as they are. Maybe not all, but she said most. So we can't blame one another and say, well, I'm just more enlightened. (laughs) I'm further along on the journey. We love that one. That would Kind of softens the blow, right? (laughs) Or, I'm just more mature. They could only see what I see. Or, they're just more deeply wounded. But when she said, You choose someone about as differentiated as you are, we were blown away. We can't scapegoat, we got to stop blaming. And remind ourselves what covenantal relationship is about. It's not calling us to be happy. Which is what our culture tells us. But it's about calling us to be holy and whole. That's what relationship teaches us. And it's hard. It is so hard. But we also learn what it really means to be one, not sameness. The sacrament in some Christian traditions is marriage, and I never understood what that meant. But it is in a covenantal relationship, whatever that looks like for you. You don't have to be married, per se. But in relationship, you learn wholeness through conflict. You learn wholeness and holiness through resolution and in that hard work. So I want to close with what Kayla mcclurk said beautifully and in summation of this whole passage. She says, some of the Pharisees quiz Jesus. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Jesus points out that they know already the demands of the law. What matters even more, and I love this, and what we understand the least are the demands of relationship. The law seeks to keep our actions in order. Relationship seeks to order our heart. Relationship calls us to remember the bigger story of who we are and from where we come. From whom we come. Who made us. The purpose of loving union. How we're no longer individuals but connected more intricately than we know. The law makes it possible to separate from another, yes. But relationship Reminds us how precious is the cost of separation. And then she makes this connection with the children. Speaking of which, they, the children, are the precious victims of broken down relationships. These children, have these children studied the law? Do they base their judgments of people on what the law, the law allows? No, they respond from their hearts, whether trusting or doubting, holding a grudge or forgiving. All that matters to children is what? The love, the relationship. All they want is to be close, to be seen and acknowledged. So they come to Jesus, sensing in him one who is fully with them, for them. Constant in love. Providence. May we, like those children, come to Jesus and each other, not trying to justify ourselves, but in utter dependence and a love that moves us toward oneness. in a recognition that the good news word that this sermon and Jesus' gospel hangs on is grace. This is good news for all of us. Unconditional love. May we learn and lean in. Thanks be to God. Amen.